to the modern democracy it is so wonderful to have you here with me today this episode is certainly one that is slightly unplanned and quite spur of the moment because if you have heard there has been a lot going on in new south wales this week particularly surrounding the resignation of our premier gladys berejiklian and now as of this morning the resignation of the deputy premier representing the national party john ferrellaro there has been so much interesting discourse and it has been amazing to pay attention to it so in today's quick episode, I thought we would go over firstly why Gladys Berejiklian resigned, my thoughts on the resignation, and what her resignation actually means for New South Wales right now amidst this crazy COVID pandemic. As always, you can put this on in the background while you're working, or you can listen to it anytime. And I hope you take something away from what's said here today. Let's jump straight in. has been on everyone's mind well is why has our very popular state leader in the middle of an absolute COVID shamble decided to resign completely for parliament why now all of a sudden I will say the timing is definitely not ideal but the answer to this is kind of complex and there are really two main things that would prompt Gladys's resignation if you recall in episode four where we talked about what pork barreling was you'd know that it's where politicians take taxpayer or what we call public money that isn't supposed to be used for political agendas to use it for political agendas. It's where biased governments take public money and give it to people in areas that have a majority of people who vote for them or areas that they want the majority of people to vote for them. In a nutshell, Gladys Berejiklian pork barrels on multiple occasions. There is copious evidence to suggest that from the years 2012 to 2018, she made multiple different schemes where she took about 90% of $252 million in taxpayer public money and provided grants with this money to liberal areas to ensure people there keep voting liberal. It was found as well that Gladys had shredded all the incriminating evidence and paperwork that tied her to the scheme and prevented money from reaching any local council that opposed her political objectives and decisions to punish them and threaten them for their non-compliance. This was what we call the Stronger Communities Fund, which again we touched on in episode four and this was the first reason. So that was the first reason. And the second reason she had to resign is because of her conflict of interest relating to more grants that were given through her relationship with a former Liberal Party member, Daryl Maguire. It was revealed in August this year that Gladys oversaw another $5.5 million grant for funding to the Australian Clay Target Association Clubhouse and Convention Centre in Wagga Wagga. While she was treasurer, she was in relationship with Mr Maguire. The problem arises because Gladys failed to disclose her relationship and then played a huge role in awarding this money and basically gave this money to Mr Maguire so that he could be re-elected and politically gain from it. There are heaps of documents that really find that she took great, great extraordinary lengths to give this money to Mr Maguire so he could be re-elected, even when the Wagga Wagga Clay Target Association did not need this grant at all. 
And because of this, because she failed to disclose her relationship and went to great lengths to basically give this money to a place that did not need it in a liberal area in order to get someone re-elected, a conflict of interest arises that suggests that she did not act objectively and did not act responsibly, therefore prompting corrupt behaviour. Because pork barreling isn't illegal in a very technical sense, it cannot be referred to any kind of court to test the legality of um, her political decisions. However, it was referred to what we call ICAC, or the Independent Commission Against Corruption. This is a body that works separate from the government, so it's actually not part of the government. And it investigates any kind of allegations of corruption that attempt to undermine the integrity of the Australian political system which basically means that if they find any kind of politician that is breaching public trust, is using um, a political money for the wrong thing and is engaging in what breaches any kind of ministerial standards, they are subject to an ICAC investigation. In Gladys's case, given the copious amount of evidence that they had, they decided to hold very lengthy public hearings to investigate this first conflict of interest and the corruption in her grant schemes starting on the 18th of October. And in doing this, she was left with no choice to resign effective immediately. And ICAC has said this in its public statement of response. I'm going to read it out to you because this is straight from the horse's mouth. The commission is investigating whether, between 2012 and 2018, the Honourable Gladys Berejiklian MP engaged in conduct that constituted or involved a breach of public trust by exercising public functions in circumstances where she was in a position of conflict between her public duties or her government duties and her private interest or her relationship. They also want to see if Gladys actually can be held liable for corruption in both the Stronger Communities Fund and the Wagga Wagga grants and whether or not by being involved in it she was set to quote-unquote encourage the occurrence of corrupt conduct by Mr Maguire. So the biggest question that still stands is what does this actually mean for New South Wales? Well, it means we are getting a new Premier. Yay, we definitely need more Liberals. Our Premier is shaping up to be a man named Dominic Perrigier, a staunch member of the religious right-wing or ultra-conservative religious section of the Liberal Party. Much to my dismay, he is a supporter of Donald Trump. He has defended climate change scepticism, where he basically doesn't believe climate change is a real thing that needs immediate action. He is very, very strongly anti-abortion and very, very opposed to same-sex marriage. And he has publicly stated that his faith and religious beliefs help dictate his governing style, despite the fact that we are a strongly secular country. If you don't see a problem with that, then I do not know what to tell you. And now that we have this new Premier, the question is, what about the roadmap? What about the changes to Gladys's initial COVID plan? And I'm here to put your minds at ease. It has been made pretty much clear that our initial COVID roadmap will remain. And this is because all of the big decisions have to be approved by the Cabinet, if you recall in Episode 1. So the Premier really can't make executive decisions by themselves. So it can be almost assured that everything will stay the same during this transition, which makes it a little bit easier for us. If it didn't, I would be very, very surprised. And also what we have going on now is a by-election in the seat of Willoughby in North Sydney, which Gladys was the member for, and another by-election as of this morning in the southern seat of Monero to replace the Deputy Premier John Barillaro after his resignation. This means that an election basically just goes on in these two electorate seats. These are both pretty safe Liberal and National seats, so we're probably not going to see any new members coming into the House. 
So there you have it. Two by-elections starting up where elections just go on without electorate, a new premier and the same COVID roadmap. That's really all of the political fallout that has happened so far after Gladys's resignation. Now this is the part I am absolutely ready for. I have been saving up a political rant for everyone. I cannot not give my opinion on this because if you know me in real life, which many of you do, if it's anything to do with Australian political affairs, I will have an opinion on it. I have an opinion on just about everything. <laughs> it's a real upside and downside of having politics as a personality trait. But seriously, I do think there is so much discourse happening right now and I am seriously enjoying listening to it relating to this major resignation. Because on one side, you have people who hold that Gladys was an excellent leader during a tumultuous period and she is being unfairly treated by this ICAC authority body. And you've got the other side arguing that given the significant evidence of her corruption, let's say abuse of power as a politician, she should have resigned a really long time ago. My position is this, and it's taken me a while to form one. I can sympathise with her as a person, but not as a politician. I can imagine it would be absolutely devastating and painful to lose a job that you love and a job that you have slaved away at for so many years. And I can absolutely sympathise with her for the fact that she has probably had to work twice as hard as any man in the Liberal Party to get to that top position. But I really do think the thing that we are forgetting and missing from our discourse is the fact that everything should just centre back to the simple idea that if you do the wrong thing, in this case if you greatly abuse the power given to you by the public, if you do not exercise that power judiciously, if you use public apolitical money, in this case $252 million to buy votes for yourself and your colleagues, you should expect to face the consequences of your actions. Being a political figure and working for the government and representing your community is an absolutely monumental task because you're given the power to affect people's lives, to influence the trajectory of change, and to influence an entire nation, or in this case, state collection of people. With great power and position, well, I'm not trying to quote Spider-Man here, but um, comes great responsibility. When we choose our politicians to represent us, we absolutely expect them to, you know, act in our best interests, remain fair, partial, measured, and morally correct in their decision-making. And Gladys Berejiklian made some bad decisions. She took money that didn't belong to her to influence her election prospects, and she enabled and failed to stop corruption when she saw it happening with speculation that she actually encouraged it. And in this way, she absolutely failed to maintain her integrity and didn't report it. She engaged in corrupt conduct, and now she, like all politicians, absolutely all politicians should, when being caught breaching those ministerial standards, will and should face the consequences of their actions. Like at any reputable workplace, if you do the wrong thing and you act in a way that violates the, let's say, basic tenets of your employment, you would be asked to leave and you would resign. And seriously, politicians, regardless of whether or not we actually align with their beliefs, all should not be above the law. Absolutely anyone who has that much power in government needs to be held to account and needs to have some kind of check and balance on them. And as citizens, we seriously should not be tolerating such a lack of integrity and dirty politics in Australia. 
And I will say there are many, many politicians I find that should be investigated at ICAC at a federal level. And I think it would be absolutely naive of me to sit here and say that I don't think some element of gender has played into this resignation partly. While she did do the wrong thing, there are also many men in politics who go absolutely unchecked for their vehemently unministerial behaviour. If we as a nation are going to do this, we're going to hold Gladys to account. We need to make sure we are keeping that same energy for other men in politics particularly men like Scott Morrison who have taken out three times the amount of pork barreling and rotting at a national level and alleged rapist Christian Porter. But I will also add something else. I am not enjoying this sympathy that is directed towards her politically trying to say that it isn't her fault and that she was railroaded by someone she loved and creating this narrative that she has been unfairly forced out of her job. But the truth of the matter is, is that she actively enabled and engaged in corruption that undermined the integrity of the Australian political system. And there is copious evidence, as I've said multiple times, to suggest that ICAC should have a legitimate case against her. The evidence is there. You know, if you look through the documents, it's clearly obvious that she knew exactly what she was doing and she played a monumental role in the undertaking of this mass state-level corruption. They don't just call you in for an investigation on this scale that warrants a resignation if there isn't actually substantial evidence to incriminate you and they have to go through it all. They can only hold those investigations when they are presented with those solid, solid allegations. So that means she wasn't naive and unknowing. It wasn't just because she had a bad boyfriend. I think it undermines her intelligence and capability to say that she was just misled by a man. And I've seen some posts that reduce this entire situation of corruption spreading from, you know, taking millions of taxpayers' money to buy the votes and shred documents to remove evidence, reducing everything down to the fact that she had a quote-unquote shitty boyfriend. You can certainly say that Daryl Maguire is part of it, but I feel as though it's insanely counterproductive to make this kind of argument to excuse what is just bad, corrupt and wrong behaviour that breaches public trust. I completely understand and I feel this way too because I feel like we all want to pass our best sympathies on with Gladys because for sure it feels as though we're all her best friends because we've seen her and listened to her at 11am for basically the past 100 days and we can appreciate and commend her for her strength and her efforts over the course of the Delta outbreak. I'm sure that was not easy. But ultimately, it doesn't and should not excuse or take away from the fact that she did take public money to wrongfully influence the election and she pork-barreled for her own political gain. And there's absolutely no way of getting out of that. I kind of see it as two things can be true. Number one, she engaged in political corruption that should never, ever be condoned in politics. And two, she also led us through a difficult time. But I think in all of that and understanding all of the nuances that probably led to that resignation, I think it's all always incredibly important that we just come back to the fact that she did do the wrong thing. Not once, but twice. She acted irresponsibly and she didn't actually do her job of acting in the best interest of the public. And it is insanely important if we're going to keep a democracy and make sure that dirty, bad behaviour stays out of politics accountability is something that we need to focus on and it's a due course that needs to be taken for all politicians and i could not continue this podcast without commenting on dominic parish oh god hmm. okay i can do this <laughs> it is so clear that his views are going to harm absolutely anyone who is basically not a white upper middle class cisgender heteronormative man i seriously cannot and i do not think any person in good conscience should be asked to respect in good conscience anyone who holds that their religious views should somehow majorly impact the way they govern. And I have 
absolutely no respect for anyone who subscribes to religious conservatism because it is a paradox in itself. You know, the basis of conservatism is less government intervention in someone's life. Except with religious conservatism, you can, sure, of course you can have less government intervention in your life, unless you're a woman. Unless you're a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. Unless you're someone who doesn't get to walk around with the innate privilege of someone else. Secularism and that belief that someone's deeply held personal religious values should not impact national policy that impedes on every single person in this day and age isn't something that we can take for granted, and Dominic Perrichet's appointment lets us know that. His presence as Premier in that top job and wielding that much power seriously poses a threat to that basic value. That basic value that whatever personal religious belief I hold should not be forced upon you. That belief that my religion shouldn't get to dictate how you live your life. And his appointment worries me deeply because I seriously feel like some of our basic human rights might not even be safe anymore. A woman's right to choose and have some basic autonomy in her life outcomes the rights of LGBT people to exist freely in a society without discrimination, the rights of workers, the rights of marginalised communities. I find very well that they may be in jeopardy under this man, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but truly, with the way things are right now in the political landscape, it, is, it could happen in a matter of weeks or months that things shift absolutely to the right, and people are going to be affected by it. I feel like also, though, if you look at Australian political history when you're looking at the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party today would be modern-day Labour. And I'm not kidding. You look at the policies of people like Malcolm Fraser and all that, they were supporting Indigenous rights, trying to do things for climate change, supporting the rights and interests of marginalised communities and acting in the best interests of people. The thing that is a wake-up call for all of us is that the Liberal Party is shifting more and more to the right, and Perrichet's appointment just solidifies this. It's a wake-up call to everyone who thinks nowadays that the Liberal Party, you know, are just some harmless group with a difference of opinion. And sure, there are moderate people in there, but there are also people like Perrichet in there. And it's very quickly, I feel, extending beyond politics we've seen at this year federally and state. It's a wake-up call for anyone who believes that corruption, misogyny, sexism, racism, homophobia, violence against women, climate denialism, gender equality, mass economic inequality, and a disgusting lack of intrinsic care for people should not be tolerated. It's not politics as usual anymore. It's not just Liberal v Labour on economic policy differences. It's whether or not you genuinely think some people should have rights and some others shouldn't. It's whether or not you believe climate change is an actual thing and we need to have immediate action. It's whether or not you think corporate interests should supersede public benefit. And it's whether or not you genuinely believe women should be able to choose what they want to do with their lives. It's just the enshrinement of neoliberal patriarchal power in government, and we should not be partisan on that. We need to start seriously thinking as individuals what we want as a nation, and if this is actually what we want for ourselves. Food for thought. And I completely get if you're thinking this chick is sitting behind a screen talking like it's absolute doomsday. I'm not trying to make it sound like that, but all I'm trying to say is it's, it's, things can change very, very quickly. I think we, for so long in Australia, we have never actually had to worry about politics in such a grave sense, especially state politics, because we've always felt safe we know we're never going to have our rights eroded nothing major is ever going to happen but i seriously feel like this is a symptom of a problem that we're seeing in the country 
where people get complacent with politics and we start thinking that voting is a joke and it's not serious and we start disengaging ourselves with what those people are doing up on the hill. I think this is a wake-up call to remind everyone that the pendulum is swinging very far to the right and we need to stop it. If you have a genuine care for people, you will work hard and you will work hard to stop things like this from happening because it's absolutely horrifying. I can't even believe that someone who someone who holds such reprehensible views in my eyes gets to stand up there and lead this state through its darkest time. This is not what we need right now. I cannot stand people who are religiously conservative because it is not a uniting belief. It is a divisive belief. But yeah, this is... This is a very unplanned political rant, but I am going to say this. Just be wary because things are changing very, very quickly. Things are going to change and we need to be ready to think about what we want and whether or not this is actually good for our country, whether or not this is good for our communities, our friends, our families. It is seriously time that we start thinking about that and looking around and thinking, oh my goodness, things need to change. I think that's the most important thing. It's a really it's a really important time that people start actually looking into politics because the thing is the moment we get complacent and we do not hold people to account is the moment that we start to see the very foundational things that we find make this country so great like our healthcare the the privileges that we are awarded in comparison to other nations. If we get complacent then we are going to start seeing those things go. I think this Perrichet appointment, above all, what I'm trying to say, but in a very lengthy way, is that it's going to motivate people. It's actually something that's going to make us realise that I think eventually when he begins challenging the very things that we hold so dearly to our heart, like our, I think it's going to make people realise that some of the things that we pride ourselves on in this country are not guarantees. You know, it's Dominic Perrichet, I really think, is a, much like Donald Trump was in America, it's a symptom of the rising religious right. And it puts people at risk. You cannot turn away from that. You cannot ignore the fact that it puts people at risk. Because it will. It absolutely will. It's a pretty serious and upsetting matter, and I, I'm glad that a lot of people are not sympathising with him. That's what at least gives me a bit of hope, as I think a lot of people recognise that that is absolutely not the kind of politician that needs to be leading this state. On the whole, to end that very lengthy and political rant that hopefully has not absolutely bored you to death, I think that we can certainly have some sympathy for Gladys in relation to what she has done for us with COVID. But in conjunction with that, corruption is not something that we need to be condoning in politics. And all politicians absolutely need to be held to account if they are breaching public trust. And Dominic's appointment is something that we really need to be wary of because it is a symptom of the religious right conservatism that is rising very quickly in the Western world. And I really think his appointment solidifies this as a force at play in Australia. All right, so I guess that ended on a quite a dark note. But I will say, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode where we talked about everything to do with Gladys's resignation, why she resigned, and what it means for New South Wales. We also touched on Dominic Perrichet and the COVID roadmap. As always, I hope you took something away from this episode and that very long 13-minute unplanned political rant 
And I hope that you enjoyed hearing what I have to say because I have noticed that my podcast episodes that seem to be the most successful usually have my opinion in this. So it's very exciting that you guys like listening to what I have to say. I'd also like to quickly remind everyone if you have not already to go follow at the Modern Democracy in all lowercase on Instagram and always feel free to DM that account if you ever have any kind of random political question. I hope you have an amazing day and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for being here.